Good evening. I have uh, plenty of questions. Uh, here is the deal. <laughs> if you want short answers, I can answer all of them. If you want long answers, I can only answer only very few. So that is the deal. Since you are not supposed to talk, <laughs> you cannot say anything. <laughs> Show up your hand. Short answers. <laughs> Very few. <laughs> so, I want to follow the democratic system, but uh, I make a compromise. <laughs> Wherever long answers are required, I'll answer them, give a long answer. Wherever short answers required, I give the short answer. When I sit, I tend to have uh, many spontaneous play, uh, physical movement like shaking, uh, tense muscles, and jerk breathing. Jerky breathing. It makes it difficult to depend on concentration. My concentration. I'm sorry. Deepen my concentration into absorption. What is your advice? <clears throat> I think I uh, gave this advice in earlier talks that uh, when you have various things, uh, because of those things you can concentrate, at that time practice mindfulness. Be aware of whatever you experience and pay attention to them and you see them all marked are marked with these three characteristics. They all are impermanent. All are impermanent. No question about it. Whether it is uh, physical movements, uh, like uh, shaking, tense muscles and so forth, they all are impermanent. You pay attention to them, they will fade away, pass away, or they will increase or decrease and pass away. And that is your mindfulness practice. As I mentioned many times, mindfulness and concentration go together hand in hand. When one doesn't work, use the other. <laughs> so, you don't lose anything. You always gain some insight. Actually, this is not a joke. This is a very important thing to remember. Many people always complain, I cannot gain concentration, I cannot gain concentration. Concentration, friends, alone is not the whole meditation. Concentration is one part of meditation. The other part is mindfulness. <clears throat> Second question. Uh, light, grey-white coming out of vision during meditation. I think um, this uh, vision, light, and uh, grey-white and so forth uh, also are temporary things. Only when you gain true deep concentration you will have a real deep white pure light. And that is exactly I'm telling you all from the Buddha's own explanation. Not my, I make up all these things. Buddha himself has mentioned in Anguttara Nikaya, when he practiced in Sangrita Nikaya and other Nikayas, when he practiced concentration, when the concentration is deepened, then mind becomes clear and pure and shines with brightness. If brightness appears or color appears, uh, light appears, 
temporarily before you gain concentration, just ignore it and pay attention to your breathing and let other things pass. <clears throat> At some point I felt my breath stopped and my concentration shifted to an area below my nose. What should I do? Actually, when you feel uh, you, uh, you don't feel the breath, uh, and uh, uh, your breath seems to have stopped, and uh, your concentration shifted to an area below nose, Concentration shifts to a place where you begin to feel the sensation that you uh, when you breathe. So, uh, if uh, you feel the breath, you feel the breath where the breath touches. Uh, if you don't feel the breath, then still don't worry. You take a few quick breaths. Breathe very quickly. Uh, one Burmese uh, uh, meditation teacher, I think, uh, uh, either I don't want to mention the name because I don't remember the name. Uh, he recommended people to breathe very quickly in order to uh, energize, activate their mind to stay on the sensation of breathing. So whenever you feel the breath disappeared, that's what you should do. Breathe very quickly. Then you find the the sensation of breath and focus the mind there. Uh, Next question. Uh, Should we continue to note parts and process of the breath, such as uh, inhale, exhale, beginning, middle, end, pause, uh, lungs full, etc. I mentioned these things when they were there uh, at the beginning. These are the things that you will notice. And uh, uh, they all uh, slowly fade away. For example, beginning, middle and end, all at the beginning becomes very clear and later on they all merge. You simply will feel one breath, the entire breath, end of inhaling, joined with the beginning of exhaling. And then you will see the one whole breathing process. Uh, At the beginning you will notice all these things, eventually they all will fade away. That is how you gain concentration. If you were to pay attention to all of them, each of them separately, you will stay being aware, being mindful. That's also okay. Uh, No harm in that. But slowly that fades away naturally and then you will experience one single breath, inhaling, exhaling, as one. Uh, That is called (coughs) uh, sandhi, joining, joining both inhaling and exhaling. Next question is, I am afraid I will be uh, stuck in jhana, what should I do? <coughs> I mentioned it in my talk, if you are stuck in jhana, you are attached to jhana, and you have not, uh, you are attached to that particular concentration. If you gain true jhana, you will not become attached to it. I will tell you in my later talks uh, why you will not be attached to jhana, because uh, <coughs> when you gain jhana, and uh, uh, later on you will lose interest in jhana as you attain uh, jhana again and again because first time you attain it, it doesn't stay too long. 
you lose it. And then you attain again. And then again you lose it. So when you lose every time, you regain it. There is a way of doing that. I will explain it. And if you do that way and attain real jhana, you will not get stuck with jhana. But uh, if it is uh, a semi-jhana or some pseudo-jhana, <laughs> then you will become attached to not real jhana. Uh, next question is, is there such a thing as a negative jhana? Uh, negative jhana, I mentioned uh, in my talk, today's talk, wrong jhana. Wrong jhana is, uh, you may term it as negative jhana, but uh, we have not heard this word before. I would say wrong jhana. Uh, wrong jhana is uh, one of those that you have mentioned here in somebody's question that you become attached to it, stuck with it and you become uh, uh, as somebody says uh, like a vegetable if you absorb in it you just you are like in a sleep, deep sleep in uh, <clears throat> yoga tradition they call uh, yoga nidra Nidra means sleep. Yoga nidra means you sleep in yoga. That is not Buddhist meditation. If you get into that, because of your yoga nidra training, don't try to uh, align it with jhana. It is not jhana. <clears throat> so I would say that is a negative jhana or wrong jhana. When you explain jhana in detail, which I hope I will be able to do one day, uh, <laughs> you will see uh, what real jhana is. Uh, you mentioned that not everybody can attain jhanas. Please uh, elaborate on this subject. What are the uh, work around for those who cannot attain jhana. Uh, I said, um, until somebody uh, settled the mind, overcoming hindrances, one would not be able to gain jhana. And uh, those who are unable to attain jhana can very well practice mindfulness because mind is very active. Active mind shows impermanence very clearly. And pay attention to impermanent things. Things are happening very frequently again and again and again. So just keep paying attention to that. When I say some people cannot gain jhana means I don't mean that they are permanently uh, what you call prohibited from gaining jhana. <laughs> uh, it is not easy for them. <clears throat> That's what actually I mean. It takes... So for them, other method is very good. The, the mindfulness method. Keep practicing mindfulness again and again and again. And then as mind becomes clear of uh, fetters and hindrances, then the person gain, can gain jhana. That's the way to work around it. <clears throat> how, do, how do you practice when strong emotions or uh, memories arise during concentration practice? Well, uh, strong emotions, uh, we have to, again, use mindfulness to talk to ourselves. There's a talking system in mindfulness meditation. And that is exactly what the Buddha did in... in uh, Several sutra. One is the Dvedha Vitaka Sutta, another is Vitaka Santana Sutta. Uh, Dvedha Vitaka Sutta, <coughs> Buddha divided his uh, thoughts into two categories wholesome category and unwholesome category. When unwholesome thought arose, he talked to himself. This particular thought, whether it is greed, hatred, uh, anger, restlessness, 
past uh, unpleasant memories, traumatic experiences, and so forth, we talk to ourselves. Are these memories, are these thoughts beneficial to me or harmful to me? Beneficial to others or harmful to others? If they are, if, of course, if they are negative thoughts, the answer always would, would be that they are harmful to me, harmful to others. <clears throat> so Buddha said then, why should I cultivate these harmful thoughts? Why not I get rid of harmful thoughts and cultivate their opposite? So he cultivated the opposite. And he said, in, especially in Dveda Vitaka Sutta, <coughs> uh, then he said uh, uh, his uh, unwholesome state uh, faded away, and then his mind became so active in thinking wholesome thoughts, wholesome states. Another thing, <coughs> within the Noble Eightfold Path itself, there's a one very good remedy for this. That is, choose your mindful, uh, or right, wholesome effort, right effort. Right effort is fourfold. One is to, to prevent unwholesome mental states from arising. Second is to overcome arisen unwholesome mental states. The third is to arouse unwholesome wholesome mental states. Fourth is to cultivate, develop, maintain, support, sustain all the arisen wholesome mental states. These are the fourfold effort. Use them in situations like this. Uh, to uh, overcome strong emotions, uh, memories, and so forth, which are particularly detrimental to gaining concentration. Now, <clears throat> as I said, even these emotional thoughts, emotions and negative thoughts, memories, and so forth, can be used as, an, as uh, uh, objects of uh, mindfulness meditation. There is nothing wrong, nothing good or bad in mindfulness, in objects, in mindfulness training. Any object, any mental state is good for mindfulness practice. We just pay attention to that with uh, what you call yoniso manasikara, with mindful reflection. When particular emotion or memories arise, go to mindful reflection. Mindful reflection is uh, this another big subject, uh, but I don't want to spend a lot of time on that. I'll explain uh, some other time in details. Uh, okay, next question. Is the purification in jhana practice? By purification, I mean the process of all disturbing memories arise and uh, are looked at uh, closely and then uh, dissipate. Uh, yes, disturbing memories arise and here again uh, purification in jhana practice. Uh, uh, jhana practice becomes uh, uh, very meaningful if we combine it with uh, the mindfulness to purify certain mental states. For example, uh, uh, disturbing memories. Disturbing memories, all disturbing memories can fall under the category of Restlessness and worry. Restlessness and worry. To overcome restlessness and worry, we have to cultivate joy factor, of, uh, joy factor, factor, uh, the opposite of restlessness and worry. And you know 
I'll mention casually today the seven factors of enlightenment. One of the seven factors of enlightenment is joy factor. Joy is a factor of enlightenment. That arises from energy factor of enlightenment. Energy factor of enlightenment arises from investigation of Dhamma. Investigation arises from mindfulness. So all boils down to mindfulness. <laughs> so that is what you should do uh, to overcome disturbing thoughts. Uh, <clears throat> and then they definitely dissipate and disappear. Next question. Vipassana teachers speak of concentration but not jhanas. Is there right concentration that is not jhana? <coughs> yes, uh, it is uh, sometimes people quote uh, uh, momentary concentration, uh, neighborhood concentration, and so forth, uh, these are the terms they use. But none of these terms we find in the text. These are commentarial words, like uh, upachara samadhi, uh, khanika samadhi, and so forth. We don't find them in text, in sutras. But in uh, commentaries we find these two terms. And many Vipassana meditation teachers are very well uh, worst commentaries like uh, Visuddhimagga is the Bible for many meditators. Uh, that is a commentarial material. And of course, Venerable Buddha Gosa has uh, brought many sutra references as well. But anyway, <coughs> concentration uh, without dhyana is used in uh, commentaries, at least in these two places. Khanika Samadhi, uh, that is uh, momentary concentration, and Upachara Samadhi, <coughs> uh, neighborhood concentration. And these are right concentration, wholesome concentration, without attaining dhyanas. So I must say yes. Next question is, uh, I seem to be able to con connect and uh, sustain uh, awareness of the breath well enough and uh, rapture comes easily. But I never experienced third jhana, <coughs> happiness, contentment, equanimity. How do I go on to experience the third jhana? This is why <coughs> jhana practitioners must master the jhanas. There are five ways of mastering jhanas. When you master the first jhana, then uh, second jhana happens naturally. You glides into the second jhana without any effort. When you master the second jhana, you naturally glides into the third jhana. So the way to attain the third jhana is to master the first, establish the foundation of third jhana, that is the second jhana. That's what you have to do. <coughs> and I tell you, when I explain jhanas, the five ways of mastering each jhana. You are a step ahead of me in asking questions. So I have to step back and uh, take it easy, and when time comes, I will explain all these things. How does one experience impermanence while in the jhanic state? That is a very important question. Not other questions are unimportant, but this is uh, typically uh, pertinent to uh, jhana uh, meditation, because here is the misunderstanding. <clears throat> I wish I had time to explain all these things in detail. 
Uh, but I, I must give a short answer. Uh, when you are in jhana, mind is not just uh, dead. Don't believe that mind is completely gone blank. No. Mind becomes extremely sharp and clear. When the mind becomes very sharp and clear, that is the state where mind becomes aware of very, very subtle changes taking place in the mind and body. This is why uh, Buddha said in the attainment of the, after attaining the fourth jhana, he said, evang parisuddhe pariyodate anangane vigatupakilete mudubhute kammane tite ananjapate asavakhe jnanai chittam abhininnameti meaning, thus pure, white, uh, free from idiosyncrasies, uh, uh, pliable, uh, soft, steady, imperturbable mind, imperturbable mind, is directed to get to destroying defilements, asavakhe jnana, to gain the insight into destruction of defilements. When the mind is in that very sharp, pure, clean state. That simply means the mind is not gone to dead or blank. It is extremely sharp. Because it is that state that the mind can go right to the very bottom of our uh, underlying tendency is called uh, anusaya. The kilesas have anusaya, <coughs> asaya, anusaya. Asaya means uh, influx or outflux. Anusaya means sleeping along with subconscious mind. And that anusaya level cannot be reached without deep concentration. And that is where it keeps digging and digging and digging into the root. And therefore, jhanic, in the jhanic stage, you can dig into the very root and uproot the, the anusaya, the underlying tendency of all defilements. <coughs> So some people who are not familiar with, uh, I mean, they are not uh, unfamiliar, but they uh, don't pay attention to jhanas. Therefore, they <coughs> completely ignore jhanas, and uh, they think when you gain jhanas, you become exactly like uh, an inanimate object without being able to function. That is not the case. Uh, so I will talk more about these things later on. <coughs> Please comment on the importance of the first uh, door to liberation, usually translated uh, wishlessness or desirelessness to attain jhana. This uh, uh, first door of liberation, there are three doors of liberation. I think somebody who wrote the question knows these three doors. They are called sunyata, animitta, appanita, vimokha, mukha. Vimokha means liberation, mukha means the door, entrance. Animitta, Appanihita, Sunyata. Uh, that means uh, 
the first one uh, when one sees the with wisdom uh, things are drifting away uh, disappearing from one's grasp it's just like uh, desires nature is as i said gluing to something uh, holding on to something that is exactly like adhesive it tries to cling to something but no matter how hard the desire tries to cling to things things slips away they don't it is just like trying to catch water into your fist no matter how hard you try to catch water in your fist it does not stay it slips away jelly you take into your hand and hold it it appears to be solid you take into your hand and try to squeeze it slips away that is the nature of impermanence it's always slips away when we see with wisdom that is where we get the <coughs> real equanimous state equanimity is not uh, uh, indifference of uh, carnal indifference or material indifference it is equanimity means we become dis passionate and we understand this reality and lose interest in in that that is how it becomes desirelessness no longer you have a desire to hold on to it because no matter how hard you try to hold on to things they never stay they slip away this is uh, animitta and i explain others later on this is the number one next question would you care to offer any uh, preliminary thoughts on working with a jhana should access occur uh i would say when you see access uh next step is almost automatic you don't have to do anything uh, when you see when you gain uh, access uh, concentration because access is the sometimes it is cons- is called a neighboring neighborhood concentration uh you can see the you are in the vicinity of concentration you don't have to do anything <clears throat> it happens very naturally uh next question i have heard teachers say there is no wisdom from concentration only from vipassana or insight meditation is that true uh i must say uh it is partially true not totally why because uh, in mindful in concentration there is mindfulness as i mentioned earlier and therefore these two must combine together to gain true wisdom mindfulness does not work without concentration concentration does not right concentration does not work without mindfulness as i mentioned the noble eightfold path last is right concentration the seventh is right mindfulness right mindfulness is a stepping stone to right concentration <clears throat> therefore these two always must be present to gain wisdom not only with one 
So the next question is, if I understand correctly, other teachers taught all the jhanas, what is unique to Buddhist meditation? Uh, all other teachers used jhana? Maybe. What is unique in Buddhism is right jhana. <laughs> unique. Because right concentration, samma samadhi, is explained always invariably in terms of four jhanas. Right concentration. And that is the unique and uh, very uh, uh, special uh, contribution of the Buddha. Buddha went through all these jhanas in other traditions, other teachers. But uh, as I mentioned, he finally found out that uh, those are not right uh, concentration, right jhanas. Now, if we have no experience with jhana practice, how do we clearly discern when we are there and at what level? That is the reason why I taught the theory. I told you at the very beginning, theory is very important for us to... uh, That is the map. Uh, When you follow the map, we know where we are. You use... uh, uh, GPS. <laughs> so that is the Buddha's GPS. So you follow that. You know exactly <laughs> where you are. <laughs> uh, if you are simply groping in the dark, you don't know where you are. If you follow the map, uh, you know, having map and putting in the glove compartment and never open it, also you will never know where you are. You have to refer to the map. And uh, as I said these days, you don't have to have a printed map on the paper. You put that CD or that uh, device you buy from the shop and put on the dashboard, you can see GPS and you know where you are. (laughs) Buddha has made it so clear and easy for us to follow if you remember the the technique <clears throat> and you know exactly what step you are following and where you are. How is the first jhana distinguished from the ordinary pleasant experience of uh, uh, unabsorbed uh, concentration? I said the first jhana has five jhanic factors when all these five jhani factors work together as a team, one team, in unison, then only you know that you are in the first jhana. Everything is very clearly stated in the theory, in the, uh, in the map. So, don't ask me. As, as I said, don't ask anybody. You will know when you are there. Okay, next uh, group of questions come from uh, walking meditation. What is the source of the style of walking meditation you teach? Does it come from the suttas? Uh, Actually, um, no, this, uh, uh, the technique I uh, explain uh, is my own technique that I learned from my own practice. So, uh, it works for me. And uh, when you practice it in that way, in the way I explain, you will see the results. So don't uh, look for any particular text uh, to find uh, the source. But Uh, we can uh, uh, find uh, the the root of this technique in the text because even in text we see when we use this is a bodily exercise mindfulness of the body 
in mindfulness of the body, the body is explained in terms of four material, uh, four elements. Uh, when we use the walking meditation in the, in the way I explained, we experience uh, the four elements. Wherever the four elements is, there is the body. So we become aware of the body. And where there are uh, these activities, there also is the feelings. When we walk, we feel. And that is another uh, aggregate, feeling aggregate. Uh, we mentally perceive this. Mentally perceive. If you want, you can physically, with your eyes also, you can perceive the movement, changes, feelings, sensation. There is a perception aggregate. Then you intentionally do this. And therefore that falls into the category of uh, volitional formation aggregate. And you become conscious of whatever is happening in your walking. There's a consciousness aggregate. So all the five aggregates are involved in mindful walking. And therefore, I can uh, uh, substantiate my theory by seeing those things in our walking meditation. Next question, while doing walking meditation, does each foot go through the through one full in-breath and out-breath? Uh, one, uh, each foot, I said, uh, for each stride, at the beginning, we take two breaths. Uh, when you learn the technique and become fully and master the technique and then one breath can be used for one stride. Uh, So for each uh, foot we use the same technique. Technique is not different from foot to foot. Is it okay to stop between breath, uh, uh, breaths and uh, have both feet flat on the floor between lifting the foot uh, to stop between breaths uh, to rest if you want, you can, certainly. Uh, putting both feet, just like when we do our standing meditation, you can uh, stop uh, between breaths. Between breaths means uh, between inhaling and exhaling. There may not be much uh, time (laughs) to put both feet on the floor. This is how I understand, between breath means uh, uh, one is inhaling, other is exhaling. Uh, in between these two, the <laughs> force is so uh, quick. Uh, I don't know whether you, when you run fast, whether you can put both feet on the floor at the same time. I don't think so. Uh, if my, if you see that I got confused to clarify this in the next question next time. In uh, walking meditation, should both legs be uh, in uh, continuous motion or should one balance on one leg while the other <laughs> How can you have both feet up in the air? <laughs> you, can, you can put both feet on the ground <laughs> only when you 
to somersaulting and jumping and uh, you know, doing some acrobatic things and so forth, you can have both feet up in the air. <laughs> but <laughs> both feet cannot move at the same time naturally. <laughs> One should be on the ground. <laughs> One, you stand on that foot and lift the other. <laughs> I wish I have a, <laughs> some miraculous power to understand this question <laughs> differently. <laughs> this is how I understand it. Next, hindrances. For a person whose one hin- uh, number one hindrance during meditation is restlessness and worry, and whose daily uh, life is filled with uh, planning, planning and worrying about planning, what would be an appropriate special meditation subject attentive of to breath that would bring absorption. <clears throat> this is what I call a, a restless mind, uh, restlessness, you know, worrying, uh, remorse, uh, planning, thinking and so forth. That would be an impediment and a hindrance naturally. <clears throat> I would recommend uh, uh, counting. Uh, there is a special way of counting which I <coughs> recommend to people. That is, uh, you breathe in and breathe out, count one. Again, breathe in, breathe out, count two. Breathe in, breathe out, count three. So go up to ten and stop there and count down from ten to one the same way. Breathe in, breathe out, count ten. And then nine, eight, and so forth to one. Second time, go from one to nine. (coughs) The same way, come down to one. Third time from one to eight, come down to one. Then from 1 to 7, 7 to 1, 1 to 6, 6 to 1, 1 to 5, 5 to 1, 1 to 4, 4 to 1, 1 to 3, 3 to 1, 1 to 2, 2 to 1, and 1. When you do this, <clears throat> you train to be mindful, train your mind to be mindful, and train the mind to remember the numbers, the figures. Sometimes when you count from uh, 9 to 1 and when you try to go back to next one, 1 to 8, you don't actually remember whether you stop at 1, 9 or 8. Then you got to start all over again. <laughs> Second thing, when you go up to from 1 to 6, your mind start wandering because that is a habit. As I mentioned, whatever we do regularly, habitually, again and again, that becomes a habit. And habitually, mind wanders here and there. This mind is like a flickering, going here and there. That is the very nature of this mind. So, when you had six mind wonders, <coughs> suddenly you remembered, I was counting. <laughs> Where was I? Oh, I was at six. So you come back to six. Then when you come back to six, you don't know whether to go from six to seven or six to five. <laughs> because at one time you went from six to seven, 
Next time you come down from six to five, you get confused. Then you punish yourself, beginning again all over from the beginning. And when you do it several times, mind learns this uh, wandering is no good. <coughs> because you... <laughs> So mind learns to stay on the object. So we learn to trick the mind. That way, actually this worrying, wandering mind and so forth, we can stop. <coughs> Next question, is there anything more important than uh, reducing and eliminating the hindrances and their roots. Uh, for now, two parts of this question. One is uh, uh, eliminating the hindrances and their roots. Uh, there is nothing more important than eliminating and removing the root of these hindrances. Nothing more important, more important than this. Because when you eliminate hindrances and their roots, you eliminate fetters. When you eliminate fetters, you attain full enlightenment, arantut. And therefore, nothing is more important than that. That is the most important thing. <coughs> I promise at the beginning I will take only one hour to answer questions. I have uh, six more minutes. Uh, I understand how metta has uh, positively effect for the one who uh, senses it, but does it also have an effect for the person whom it is sent to? Uh, there is an effect, <coughs> provided you inform the person in, in advance, that suppose somebody is uh, sick in the hospital, and you inform, you visit the patient, talk to the patient, uh, my brother, sister, friend, uh, mother, husband, uh, wife, whatever, you, you know, child, you say, spend as much time as you like in the hospital helping the person and tell, I go home and this is my time, meditation time. This time I will send you metta for your rapid recovery. And you, you uh, encourage this person to tune his or her mind to your metta practice at that time. Then that person will be benefited from your metta because the person will be thinking, oh, my mother, this moment is thinking about me. My father, my husband, my wife, my brother, my sister, my friend is thinking about me this time. <clears throat> so the person can receive your metta. And only that way you can affect the recipients. <clears throat> but otherwise, uh, there are unknown, unaccountable living beings on earth, in other galaxies and so forth. We send our metta to all of them. All we do is sending metta within our own mind inside ourselves to calm ourselves, remove all the scruple of uh, resentment and so forth from our mind to make our mind clean and pure. So the benefit 100% uh, uh, come to us and uh, other people only when we inform them will receive the benefit to some degree. 
That's why we always begin metta practice with ourselves. The second uh, in this category is, uh, is it appropriate to send metta to loved ones who have died? Uh, if so, uh, what phrases do you suggest? In fact, uh, this is one of the conditions, all the metta <coughs> is unconditional practice. Uh, as I mentioned, there is no uh, reciprocal arrangement between us and others. Uh, if you do this, I do this. Uh, if you do this, I will send metta in, as a payment in exchange. <laughs> Not that kind of arrangement we make when we practice metta. That is why metta practice is called unconditional practice. But metta itself is a condition, <coughs> conditioned sankara, wholesome condition, wholesome sankara. Uh, anyway, one of the conditions in practicing metta is not to send metta to a dead person. Why? Whenever we think of a dead person, you remember the person's figure, person's color, height, size, voice, appearance, things the person has done and so forth and so on. Uh, when the person is dead, none of these things actually exist. <coughs> Body is not existing, appearance is no longer there, and so forth. The person is completely vanished. We simply have the memory. So, uh, Buddha recommended not to send metta to dead person, but the per metta to the person who is in the state of taking rebirth <coughs> in the process. That is why in the Karaniya Sutta, Metta Sutta said, the Bhutava Sambhaveshiva, one who is born or being born in the process of taking rebirth, we send metta. <coughs> not the person that is, that no matter how lovely the person is, the person is no longer there. But the person is in the process of taking rebirth or is instantly born somewhere. And therefore there is no particular uh, formula to send metta to the deceased. <coughs> uh, so this exactly ended our time, finished our time. So there are <coughs> many more questions. Even if I try to give very brief answers, I would not be able to finish all the answers, all the questions. So you ho I hope uh, to answer these questions on Wednesday. Uh, if you put more questions, I try to answer them on Saturday. <laughs> if you put more questions, I will not answer them. <laughs> so, let us see how things go. But you know, I answered uh, uh, 22, 24, 26 questions. <coughs> Not bad. <laughs> okay.